Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back, my good friends. Come on in, make yourself at home. Listen as I tell you the tale of catfishing gone bad in the Appalachian Mountains. Now, catfishing to us mountain folk happens usually one of two ways. You get yourself whatever top secret bait that you know attracts catfish, put it on a hook and cast it out from a handheld rod and reel hoping for a bite. Another way is to get yourself what is called a lay line or some people call it a trot line that line is stretched across a span of water and has floats usually old milk jugs attached to it to hold it up it has multiple hooks which are baited of course with your top secret bait in hopes of catching a big cat now we in the mountains do this because few things in the world can beat catfish rolled in the cracker mill and deep fried peanut oil or grilled in butter with Old Bay seasoning on an open grill. But there's another kind of catfishing that's cruel and downright devious in nature. That's the kind of catfishing we're going to be talking about today. Mountain City, Tennessee is located just a few miles from both the Virginia and North Carolina state lines. U.S. Highway 421 connects Mountain City to Bristol, Virginia in the northwest direction and to Boone, North Carolina in the southeast direction. State Highway 67, the winding road that travels alongside beautiful Watauga Lake, connects Mountain City to Elizabethton, Tennessee. There's lots to explore in Mountain City and the surrounding area. There are antique shops, trails, lakes, a golf course, and many more exciting things to do in those Appalachian Mountains. But that's not why we're here today. 
And, of course, you already knew that, didn't you? Janelle Potter said she had trouble making friends when she and her friends moved to Mountain City back in 2005. She says, because I wasn't born and raised here. I didn't grow up here, and people here don't like outsiders. Now, I already find that hard to believe. I know that overall, the Appalachian people are some of the most friendly people on earth, often to a fault, but I'm just a friendly Appalachian host, and I digress. Because of health problems, including type 1 diabetes, the 23-year-old Miss Potter spent most of her time living at home with her parents, who cared for her every day. She didn't have a job or wasn't able to drive a car either. Whether it was the overprotectiveness of her parents or some other disorder, she is said to have the mentality of a 12-year-old. Janelle's mother, Barbara, had a job at Hewlett Packard, and her father, Marvin, who everybody called Buddy, was a former Marine who served in Vietnam. His wife claimed that he later worked with the CIA as well. Janelle's sister, Christy, who has been estranged from the family for more than a decade, said Janelle struggled to make friends growing up. Instead of being herself, my parents tried to make her fit into the, their own terms. They also, in the same breath, would say how different she was, and then she became unable to make friends normally. Well, that left her social media, which became Janelle's life support, though she said her parents monitored her Facebook page constantly as well. One day, while picking up prescriptions, Janelle befriended a pharmacy clerk named Tracy Greenwell. We felt sorry for Janelle, said Tracy, because she was sheltered and stayed sick a lot. Janelle spent time with Tracy and her friends, including Tracy's brother, Billy Payne. Everybody soon thought that she had fell in love with Billy, but there are others who would argue that that wasn't the case. Tracy soon introduced Janelle to her cousin, Jamie Curd, who is handy with computers, by the way. The two became an item, with Janelle hiding a relationship, of course, from her strict parents. In fact, Jamie had bought Janelle a burner phone so that they could talk, since Janelle's parents checked her phone constantly, too. From time to time, Jamie would, of course, find a reason to visit the Potter house to, quote, fix, end quote, the family computer. But behind her parents' backs, Janelle and Jamie would actually secretly spend time together. That was until Buddy found out. That's when he threatened to kill Jamie if he didn't leave Janelle alone. Her mother, Barbara, had caught Janelle talking on her burner phone and took it away from her. She then dropped the dime to Buddy, who became mad as a wet bobcat over it. It wasn't long before Jamie got Janelle a new phone, and they picked it right back up where they left off. While it seemed that Janelle's social life was finally blooming, she was being relentlessly bullied online with anonymous comments appearing on her Facebook page. Janelle told her parents that Jamie and, and Jamie that the messages said that she was a bad person, that she was a horrible, and that they, whoever they were, threatened to have her raped. Janelle's mom, Barbara, said, I remember that I wrote, Please don't write on Janelle's Facebook. Please don't do this. Janelle said one of her Facebook friends, Billie Jean Hayworth, was probably the one behind the attacks because Billie Jean was jealous of her looks. And Janelle was six feet tall, but had a voice that sounded as if she was a small child, which made her all self-conscious about her looks. 
Now, Billy Jean was by then dating Billy Payne, and the couple lived together with their baby son. It wasn't long before a feud broke out on social media with Jamie, who was Billy Payne's cousin, taking Janelle's side. Janelle posted that she wished that Billy and Billy Jean and that, quote, damn baby, end quote, would die. When I read this, I was devastated. Lindsay Thomas, a friend of Billy Jean and Billy said, Janelle was always saying that somebody was mad at her. Somebody hated her. Somebody wanted to kill her. She acted paranoid about it. But Janelle said that there were real threats of violence against her. In one incident, police photographed a rock that had been found in the Potter's front yard with the names Billy Payne and Billy Jean written on it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to attack somebody a rock with a rock, I sure wouldn't sign it, would you? Eventually, both sides deleted each other as friends on Facebook. I think that we did it to each other. I unfriended them. They unfriended me, Janelle later said. I did Billy first, then I think Billy Jean did me, and then I unfriended her too. The continued threats against Janelle kept coming up every day. Eventually, Barbara, Janelle's mother, got a message from a guy named Chris, who he, she said, and, and she remembered him, being Janelle's friend when they were young back in Pennsylvania. He told Barbara that the police in that little podunk town were stupid if they couldn't stop what was going on. He said that he would soon have to take care of things by himself if that didn't soon stop. He said that he had been trained in exactly how to do it, too. He said that he had always taken care of Janelle and when they were children and that he wouldn't hesitate to do it now. On January 31st, 2012, a friend of Billy and Billy Jean found them dead by single gunshot wounds to their faces. Billy's throat had also been slashed as he lay in bed trying to sleep, and Billy Jean had been cradling her baby in her arms as, as she was shot in the face. Seven-month-old little boy survived unharmed. It takes a cold-blooded person to shoot somebody holding her baby. The day after the murders, Chief Deputy Joe Woodard of the Johnson County Sheriff's Department talked to Janelle, Barbara, and Buddy at their home which they recorded, of course, because that's how you handle things when you're investigating this type of stuff. Police already knew that they were feuding with Billy and Billy Jean, and that's what brought them knocking to the Potter's front door. Now stick around. You don't want to miss the rest of this one. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now, during the interview right there at the Potter's house, Janelle appeared to be hiding a romantic relationship with Jamie from her parents. Later that week, authorities brought Jamie in for questioning and asked him to take a polygraph test, which he failed miserably when asked about knowing the identity of Billy and Billy Jean's killer. Jamie, during the interview, asked, Is the CIA here? That was a very strange question. The police thought that it was very strange thing to be brought up during the questioning, but they continued on. Jamie continued on and eventually told detectives that he'd been texting with a man named Chris who told him that he was in the CIA and that it was his job to protect Janelle at all costs. After being at the interrogation for nearly six hours, Jamie finally folded up like a lawn chair and told police 
Janelle's dad, Buddy, did the killing. At the time, police didn't believe Buddy capable of doing such a thing because Buddy had quite an extensive list of health issues. So detectives had Jamie call Buddy to try to get a confession on tape. They told Jamie to ask Buddy if he'd got rid of the gun and stuff from the murders because the police were breathing down his neck about it. Buddy answered, yes, he had. Although it wasn't an outright admission of guilt, they now had enough to go get him. They moved in and arrested Buddy in a pre-dawn raid on, in February. While being questioned by detectives, Buddy said, ever since all this crap started, I've had my life threatened. My wife's been threatened. They've threatened to take Janelle, cut her head off. Agent Lott, who was the investigator, then arranged for Buddy to call his wife, Barbara. He told Barbara, I did it. That's a, as close to a confession as they got from him, of course. But Barbara didn't accept her husband's supposed confession of guilt. When they took him, they took no oxygen, which he needed to live. They took no medication, and they interviewed him for hours, Barbara said. When his oxygen gets low, he says things that don't make no sense. While Buddy was being questioned, police executed a search warrant on the Potter house. Chief Deputy Woodard said investigators found an arsenal of weapons around the home, though none matched the murder weapon. They also discovered printed photos of the victim and her friends in the living room. At one point, Barbara ripped the photos that were found in what seemed to be an attempt to hide them from police. Authorities seized 51 items from the house, including their family computer. When they impounded Buddy's truck, they found bags of shredded documents. Well, shredding ain't enough, folks. It's amazing what a little patience and some scotch tape will get you, which is exactly what <clears throat> an agent did. He meticulously reconstructed more than 100 pages of what appeared to be thousands of emails sent to the whole Potter family. After combing through them, he appeared, or it appeared that there was some type of conspiracy here. They kept referring to a guy named Chris that's supposedly a CIA operative or something along those lines. The CIA agent Chris had apparently been corresponding with Barbara and warning her about threats to her daughter's life. He was watching these people that had, he said, to her harassing her on the computer and calling her. And when she would go out with her dad and said that they were watching them together, Barbara said, and he said that he couldn't use his real name, his real identity, so just call him Chris. So police looked up this Chris dude as they had got the information from Barbara as to who Chris was based on the Chris that she knew to be Janelle's friend back in Pennsylvania. Chris was now a police officer and didn't even remember anybody named Janelle Potter or any Potter family in his past whatsoever. Police were able to corroborate his story in fairly short order. Then, police honed in on Janelle and Jamie's text messages with each other the morning of the murders. These texts were very telling about Janelle's involvement in the preparation of the killing. And on Potter's computer, police found that hundreds of emails sent from the CIA agent Chris all came from the same IP address. That didn't surprise them as they expected that. What did surprise them, though, was that the, this IP address was located in the Potter's computer that Janelle used. 
It soon became clear that Janelle was pretending to be Chris. Social media allowed Janelle Potter to be somebody that she wasn't. She invented Chris so she well, she could assume a different identity and be as hateful and manipulating as she wanted to be. Prosecutors believe Janelle used the false identity to fool her parents and to goad her own father into killing. She was feeding Barbara's delusions, so Barbara ignored the signs that something was amiss, even after both Billy and Billie Jean, who had figured it all out, tried to talk to her about what Janelle was doing. In August of 2013, authorities went back to the Potter residence and arrested Janelle and Barbara for murders of Billy and Billie Jean. A few months later, in October 2013, Buddy, who had said very little about any of it to anybody, even during his trial, was found guilty for the murders and is currently serving two life sentences. Jamie Curd agreed to plea to a plea deal of 25 years in prison for his testimony against Buddy. He stated that Buddy had handed him a gun and told him to stand watch by the door. Buddy then proceeded into the bedroom where he shot Billy in his sleep as Billy Jean ran from the room to get the baby, Buddy come out of the room and followed her into the nursery where he then shot her. On May 2015, three and a half years after the shooting, Janelle and Barbara finally went on trial. I think they were the masterminds, said Detective Lott. Janelle catfished them all, and Barbara got what got into what happened. Prosecutor Brooks told the jury that Janelle authored all the emails and Chris by pointing out that the childish writing and misspellings which matched her pattern of speech. So she was Chris. Janelle sat and cried throughout the whole trial, denying any involvement to anybody that would listen. My client is not guilty for having an overprotective father, Janelle's attorney Cameron Hyder said. She is not capable of directing anyone to commit murder. It's just not in her. After seven days of testimony, the jury found both Janelle and Barbara guilty of first-degree murder, and they were both sentenced to life in prison. I don't want anybody murdered. I didn't want anybody murdered. I don't want anybody murdered, and I didn't do that, Barbara said. And I didn't murder anybody either, Janelle said following the trial. They both still sit in prison. I hope you've enjoyed hearing about the catfishing story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to do so, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. You can also support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes, or if you can go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast. We can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend. I'll see you then.